Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what helped them go further faster. I'm Brooke Skinner-Ricketts, president and co-founder of Beyond Barriers, and I'll be your host for today's episode. I'm so excited for you to meet Jessica Gelman, an experienced CEO, industry leader, and entrepreneur with a data-driven, customer-centric approach to innovation. She's the CEO of Craft Analytics Group, or Kager, a technology services company that helps sports and entertainment organizations get analytics right, increasing value and impact along the way. Kager's data management platform, analytics, and strategic services is driving industry redefinition through data and technology. Their clients include all major U.S. professional leagues, colleges, and industry movers. Prior to Kager, Jessica was a leader in business operations, marketing, and strategy with the New England Patriots, Gillette Stadium, and New England Revolution. Jessica is co-founder and chair of the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, the first and largest conference of its kind. Speakers have included President Barack Obama, Sue Bird, Adam Silver, Steve Ballmer, Nate Silver, and many, many more. Jessica has been recognized for her leadership and innovation as a sports business journal, 40 Under 40 and Game Changer, which honors women who are leading and innovating in sports business. She earned her MBA from Harvard Business School and BA cum laude from Harvard College. While at Harvard, she was elected as Harvard Female Athlete of the Year in 2018, and she was honored as an Ivy League legend of basketball. She's an elected board and a member of the Harvard Varsity Club, as well as a board member for Peace Players International and Shooting Touch. Jessica and her wife have two sons and reside in the greater Boston area. Please join me for this fascinating conversation with the one and only Jessica Gelman. Well, I would love to just start by hearing your story a little bit. Sure. Um, I've like sort of Google stalked you and, you know, have, have some, <laughs> some info from our shared networks. But um, I just love to hear in your words a little bit uh, about your journey, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah. I mean, I'll start with kind of what I'm doing today. Is that like a good starting point? Okay. Well, first I'll just say that I've always been comfortable being the first or being the one of only, even from my days growing up outside of Chicago, where I played on all boys team soccer teams. Um, and the first time I played on a, a all girls sports team was when I was in sixth grade and I tried out for my junior high school basketball team. But uh, but I think that's important because it really sets the the stage for working in the sports industry. Um, you know, I've been I've been working with the Kraft family since I graduated from Harvard Business School in 2002. So it's you know just just celebrated my 20th anniversary. Uh, obviously, a lot of different roles. My first 14 years was with Kraft Sports and Entertainments with the Patriots, where I ran um, most of the customer-facing business lines for for them, ticketing, retail, marketing, and then the development of the strategy and analytics area. And then um, a few years before we officially spun out Kager, of which I'm the CEO, I approached the Crafts uh, about... Uh, 
creating a business a technology platform and strategic consulting entity that is now Kager, which stands for Craft Analytics Group, um, all rooted in how do you make data easier to consume to apply to understanding customers in the sports space. And that was all of the work and type of work that I was doing within the world of the Patriots and the revolution in Gillette Stadium. I should also note that I also co-founded and continue to chair the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, which is considered, you know, the preeminent sports analytics conference uh, in the United States. And honestly, we do draw about 15% uh, internationally up most even this past year, which was post pandemic, and it was higher pre pandemic. So <clears throat> as I would say, comfortable being the first, which is really driving the adoption of analytics in in sports, obviously, in my day to day job on the business side, and then through the Sloan conference, both on the business and uh, and team side, I co-founded the conference with one of my closest friends, Daryl Morey, who actually was the officiant at my wedding, uh, which you will appreciate. <laughs> um, and he now is the president of basketball operations for the 76ers. Um, but, I, but I think that concept of being the first and comfortable kind of being different is important. And as an as a athlete growing up, I played basketball in college at Harvard, I wasn't the fastest. <laughs> I was a slow point guard in short. So where I tried to get my competitive advantage is understanding the game better and using analytics. And then that's very akin to what I do in my day-to-day now, which is outwork and use analytics to gain a better understanding of customers and what they want and then help organizations, our clients. We work across all of the major U.S. sports leagues today, uh, including the NFL, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Kings, helping them better engage their fans. It's a, it's really fun. I really love what I do on a day-to-day basis. The last thing I would say is from like a lesson and learnings perspective as a woman, I have personally found that data was an equalizer. It leveled the playing for field for me in the business world, really giving me a voice, a unique voice, I guess I would say, um, where in key, in some cases, I don't, I'm not shy for confidence, but still there are moments of doubt. And when it's not just your opinion, it's rooted and backed and supported with data. It certainly, I think, enhances the validity of what you're bringing to bear when you're, when you're in meetings and you're bringing up concepts um, in, in predominantly all male meetings. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I hear you on the data piece. I think it's it's a great equalizer, and there's there's more and more of it, right? So I think as a, as a tool, it's not something that we've talked a lot about um, just in in our programming, but I I think it's a really interesting, important piece of the puzzle. Um, I think, you know, being an athlete sets you like teaches you so many things. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then but then also joining like not only being the first and only, but in a really male dominated field, right? Like where you are. I'd love to hear just a little bit about like how you navigated out out of the gate. Like what what do you think the secret sauce was? What do you think has made you so successful? And I hear part of its data, but but it also, I mean, I think it takes I think it takes a special kind of person to stick with it um in, in a yeah. field the one you're working in. So 
I well, first, I mean, I'm a, a people person. Like, I think if people were saying like, what are the things that define you? Like, a big one is connection um, and connecting. I'm a connector. I like to bring people together. And even early on in my career, whether that was you know prior to business school or really the early days at Craft Sports and Entertainment. I was organizing pickup basketball games and I had this great connection. I played basketball at Harvard to the the Harvard women's basketball program. And there are a lot of my colleagues who had daughters who were interested in basketball and I would bring them and their daughters to games. Um, and by the way, not always their daughters, sometimes their son uh, sons, including, um, you know, Jonathan Kraft and his whole family came with me to a game once and we played you know, pick up uh, after. And I think that offering of yourself in a genuine way and connecting with people in a genuine way, that's also one of the most amazing parts about working in sports is people who work in sports do love sports, whether it's playing or watching. And it really, and it's one of the things that I love about sports is that it really connects people. My, my wife, um, she is the CEO of a healthcare company. And I'll say, oh man, like you save lives. Like you're like doing the real work. And she says, yeah, but you make lives worth living. And that's what is so awesome about sports is that it, it really connects people. And I, I think that early in my career, being able to cr- help create that connection and it wasn't just... um you know, honestly, coming from with an Ivy League education, that was that was challenging too, <laughs> um, because there weren't that many people who were who worked in sports who had that kind of a background. It, it's different today, for sure, and I think a lot of that is been informed and impacted by the rise of data and the rise of technology to engage the fans. Well, and also, frankly, look at the growth and evolution of sports businesses, teams, leagues, and the valuation of those entities, which means that there's more money surrounding it and thus um, more sophistication and professionalization that's also needed. So, but, but, but I, like I said, I think that sports connection and finding a personal connection early in my career was really valuable. I am a people person. I love connecting one-to-one with people. It's important to me. Excellent. Thank you. Um, One of the things that we hear from women a lot is they struggle with like how much of themselves to bring to the table. Right. Um, And, you know, there's research about you can either be effective or likable or, you know, you know, and you have to you have to kind of toggle between. It sounds like um, you're just you're very generous with yourself, which can be challenging because I think someone. Mm -hmm. Is I think especially in male-dominated industries, I mean, it helps to have an interest in the thing, right, that you're doing, but um, but it can feel vulnerable, right, in the la- in, in 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 an arena where you also feel vulnerable. It's hard, it's hard. I think it's hard for a lot of women to be generous. So I'd love to know what advice mm-hmm. you would offer to someone who's kind of you know walking that line and try to figure out how to how to leap a little further. Well, I wouldn't say I've mastered this, and it's actually probably one of my biggest challenges, especially now with a family, which is um, I do want to help. And I remember early in the early days, a lot of people would ask, oh, can you um, introduce me to so-and-so? And sometimes there'd be a, a verbal conf- 
conversation that I would follow up. And, you know, as you get busier in your career, obviously that <laughs> becomes more challenging to do. But when someone asks of something at this point in time, one of the things that I have done, um, and, and part of it is time and prioritization, but I, I will not follow up unless I'm followed up with. And then it's just a prioritization of time and, and energies. Um, as I alluded to, uh, we, my wife and I, we have two young kids and they're both in school and we're in the early days. Uh, they're six and nine and, uh, we want to prioritize spending time with them. And so the question is that, and I, and I appreciate this very much about my wife because she holds me accountable to it, which is, you know, where are you going to spend your time with this person who you don't know who you're trying to help or with your family? And it's a really good question. And I thank her for holding me honest to that. Um, but I, I wouldn't say I have a great answer, <laughs> which is maybe unfortunate because it is it is it is part it is a big part of who I am. Um, but I but I I um, it's really time in the day at this point in time. So That's I would say one of one of the best pieces of advice I got early on, uh, honestly, from one of my first um one of my first bosses, who's also um, someone I'm still in touch with and, and is a mentor, Andy Wozniak, said, your biggest challenge is going to be time, like managing and having time. So there will be lots of people that who ask you to be on boards, who ask you to, to um, and, you know, in the early days, of course, it was nonprofit boards, and then it evolves to for-profit boards um, and other, and other um, needs. And, and, you know, what I what I try to do is set long-term goals of what it is that I want to achieve or trying to achieve, and then sh- more short-term t- short tactical uh, approaches on a year-to-year basis. So the long-term could be 20 years out, or uh, actually, I wouldn't even said they were 20 years out. If I look back to when I was in business school, I, I, I would have said, oh, I'm a, this is what I would like to get to without a real time horizon on it. And then I just had my 20th business school reunion. And I, or I was heading into it. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I've done most of these, so I just set a new next 20 years kind of. of here's here's here are the new goals and visions, and then kind of systematically reminding myself of those. Um, it's a theme of almost all of the people that we talk to in the podcast that sort of like, and, and it's also part of what we teach women in, in the curriculum is is how to do that. And I think one of the things that we hear. And this is something I struggled with, you know, got the good advice from someone actually at Digitas that, um, you know, when you say no to something, you're actually saying yes to something else, which helped me as a people pleaser (laughs) kind of frame. Like, I can't do this because I'm doing this other important thing. If you want to have a conversation about what's more important, we can do that. But like knowing, but that takes in knowing what's more important, right? And I think a lot of women hesitate to say no because we don't want to turn down opportunities or because, um, but, but so many women end up doing what, you know, the non-promotable work, you know, in addition to their day jobs. And, um, and we, I think we have to be, we have to stand firm, right. in in terms of not only what's going to accomplish the goals that are in front of us from a, from a company perspective, but also what are our own goals. And it sounds like you've, you've done that. Um, well. well, here's something that's a little interesting because the Sloan conference, um, which where I, you know, 
we have as a collective group. So the conference is really Daryl and I um, really coach the current students in in running the day to day of the conference, and we'll have kind of here's the overarching key themes, and obviously our relationships in terms of bringing in speakers. But I, I think this is important. This is important. I want and I want to state it is that 37% of our speakers last year were women. And that is obviously outsized compared to the industry as a whole in terms of people who are in senior positions. And I think there were times in my career where I, w- I thought, um, even in the early days of the conference where women, if you, most men, if you said, Hey, would you come and speak at a conference? They'd be like, yeah, they didn't want any details about it. And I think women, especially, um, you know, those with families would, would ask those questions, which I always appreciated. But I think now as someone who is running the conference and knows a lot of the executives in the industry, um, you know, there's comfort and understanding we're asking further out. Like there's all of these studies that show like, why aren't women getting the opportunities or um, showing up um, in the sea, it be a kind of what you might see it speaking. And I, I think overall, it has to be changes to how things are laid out. A few years ago, I, I went to um, an event at, at HBS where it was geared towards women and, and Frances Fry, who you may or may not know, she's written a number of um, great books and actually went and helped Uber with their culture. But prior to that, she had done an evaluation and analysis of uh, tenure at HBS and why women professors weren't getting to tenure. And one of the key findings is that um, some of the challenges were the requirements of tenure in terms of female professors being on site, being on campus. And the exceptions that were being made were mostly being made when men asked for it and yep, and they weren't being made for for the female professors. So HBS uh, as a whole, w- under the at the time the dean was Nitin Noria, they actually made changes to how tenure could be achieved, and it has increased the number of of professors who are are women at HBS. And so there are these subconscious barriers that have been created by society because you know again historically women have been in in the caretaking role and they don't have the ease of just saying yes right away and so i think we in at kager 65 percent of of the executive team here is women in a technology company an analytics company in sports that's not by mistake right and i i think that we need to understand and meet meet women, but I mean, all executives, it isn't just women, we need to meet people where they are. And this is something that I'm really committed to and passionate about using my platforms to to support that. I just went off on a tangent. I know. No, so. it's really, really great. And I, um, the, the data is interesting, but also that, I mean, the story about Harvard, it makes so much sense. And it's, you know, our program has a lot to do with coaching women and navigational skills, right? Both at the executive and, and really we're focused mid-career because that's when the numbers fall off. You, you, yeah. You you see it um and like it's there are a hundred reasons and none of them are very good right (laughs) but but some of them are systemic like you're talking about and a lot of them are just like women make assumptions and companies make assumptions about women right and and then they they never talk about them and so you know part of what we're trying to do is is to coach women on how to take the wheel right on their career Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. in, in a moment when there's a lot of other you know plates spinning around them right and so doing it in a way that that is accessible and um and they can you know succeed 
Well, I mean, and I think that's really interesting. Um, the concept of Kager, the idea of it was actually when I was on maternity leave. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. And then actually, Kager was officially spun out. My, I did the honors with our first um, with our first son and my wife did the honors with our second. But <laughs> I, I joked that I had two babies in 2016, <laughs> our, our youngest son and Kager. And, the, and, and also like kind of uniquely have seen the role being in kind of in some way, in some ways, both roles. So um, it, it is a, we have to be very cognizant of it uh, and, and help and help one another through it for sure. Because it, 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 the, the expectations and requirements are vast. Although, you know, when you're in a leadership role, I do think there's, you have more control of your schedule and I think that makes a difference. Yeah. I, um, I went to the hospital to have our son the day they rang the bell on Wall Street for cars. So I could appreciate the having a few babies. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, I and and in my latest career search, I talked to a, a very successful entrepreneur and I said, you know, I don't know if now's the time because I have all these young kids. And she's like, actually, now is really the time, you know, because you can kind of, you know, you can make your own path, which I hadn't thought about the, about it that way. And it's another example of just like th- there's a lot of profound moments that um, I think women don't get exposed to just because we're, you know, we're managing so much in so many cases. So. I wouldn't have necessarily thought of myself as an entrepreneur. And I do think that there's something about women not thinking about themselves as, as taking risk. And even in my case, like the risks that I've taken have been, I've, I've tried to uh, manage the risk. And so, you know, I think it was, it was even post Kager. I was like, Oh, I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur of like actually, you know, founded two pretty uh, uh, impactful uh, businesses in the sports industry. But I think there w- that wasn't like I wasn't going out being like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, which I do think is a, honestly a, gener- a generational um, thing. And I, and I think increasingly, I'm hoping seeing more, more women who have gone on and, and been successful entrepreneurs that the, that the next generation will, will have those aspirations. I hope so, too. We, we're hearing more and more from entre- we, most our, our most of our businesses B2B, but we're actually hearing from a lot of entrepreneurs asking, can we do a cohort, you know, with just entrepreneurs? Um, I want to ask you about overcoming limiting beliefs. I'd love to hear, you know, we all, we all do it all the time, right? Yep. Um, but how, what's your approach? How do you do it? When, where do you get stuck? You know? Oh my goodness. Um, so when, so I played uh, professional basketball in Israel uh, oh, wow. after college. Yeah. Um, well, it wasn't really the best experience. And in fact, I, if I'm looking at like failures in my life, you know, there, there were elements there where I made decisions. I hadn't done my research. I didn't recognize on what I was getting myself into. I hadn't recognized how much value and importance to place on the people, which was like a really important learning for me. I had never prior to going to Israel, I'd never been outside the United States, if you unless you count the Bahamas three times for spring break, which I don't think counts. Um, but I had I, you know, didn't have that uh, broader uh, exposure to other cultures. So it, and and how seriously basketball was taken. And I'd had this amazing experience while I was playing at Harvard. So I, 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 um, I left, I left early and I, you know, I think had had, when you're a, 
playing basketball and it's something you've committed, anything you've committed yourself to in earnest for an extended period of time. And, but I was ready to move on and start the next phase of, of my life. But I, I mean, it, from a confidence perspective, took a huge toll on me. And I remember flying back on the plane and I made a list of things that I wanted to do, like starting a girls basketball camp in my hometown and, you know, all these things that I, I ultimately did go and do. But I wrote down a quote and I just said, uh, have confidence in myself. It's the difference between uh, happiness and constant questioning. And the reality is this. <laughs> I always question myself um, at different states and especially starting a company. There have been times where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I say to myself, well, you know, did Mark Zuckerberg when he started Facebook? I'm not suggesting, by the way, that Kager is going to be Facebook. In fact, I really hope it isn't Facebook. Uh, there's enough negativity there. But I mean, my, my point being, there's all these people who had never done things before and they figured it out. And even... For me, again, you mentioned like sports. No one in my family played basketball before, you know, I played. And I, there's has to be, if you have, per, if you have done and persevered and been able to teach yourself something, then you can do it again. And so before I ran the ticket office for the Patriots, I'd never done it before. Before I ran retail and oversaw supply chain and, you know, developed analytics uh, within that organization. I had never done it before. So yeah, why can't I start a technology company, even though I've never run a technology company before? And I, th I think sometimes not knowing is really good. And then when you get to the points where it is hard, it's there is something to be said about that you've overcome something before. And for me, that's when I'm in those moments of questioning, which happens, it happens more than you would think, to be totally honest. Uh, I do remind myself of both that quote from when I was coming back from Israel and the fact that I figured it out before and why not this time. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. That's kind of a, it's a persistent, persistent question. Um, do you have, you talked about your, your 20 year goals, but do you have like daily habits or rituals that, you know, have, have helped you succeed? Sure. Uh, some of these things, like, I don't know if I knew that they were. So for example, depending on if I'm traveling for work, like I try to be really good on my email. So that's like something that is very um, important for me. I remember my wife looking over my shoulder and like, oh, I see what you do. You mark unread the ones that you need to go back and do deal with. And like, so those things, so those are like, like little hit, hic hiccups there. Um, but I think the main thing is really um, prioritizing what it is that I need to get done each day and, and all of the things. So uh, working out is really important for my sanity. Um, and the definition of what working out has certainly changed <laughs> over time. Um, it's more an individual sport now uh, versus uh, playing playing uh, team sports, where I tended to get injured a lot in my thirties. Um, but but that that's really important for me. I do do a, I do do a lot of that. Um, I do prioritize time with my family. Um, this wasn't really necessarily something that I 
grew up with. Both my parents worked and, um, you know, we, we didn't really have dinner together, but this has been something that, uh, Corbin, that's my, my wife, we, we both prioritize. So when we're in town, which fortunately, during the pandemic, we've been in town quite a bit. We've both started traveling a lot over the last two months, but uh, we have dinner with our kids every night. Uh, 6.30 to 8 are kind of the hours where we try to really focus on the kids and have that time with them. Um, and that's something that I find to be important for sanity. And then, you know, when it comes to work and how, and how to do it, like, um, really, again, I was a point guard. So I feel like my job is, is it, the, the consistency is setting up people to be successful, understanding their strengths and weaknesses. I try to empower my team to own what it is that they can and should own and grow them. Uh, I really want them to become better and take on more. And I always will say, like, if they're growing on taking on more, then you know, then I'm, then I'm able to grow and take on more. And that's kind of the, the path of overall development that, that I think we all should be uh, trying to achieve. What if you knew exactly where to focus to go further, faster? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results and advance. Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the five C's, core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com slash quiz to get your report today. Did you, did you always know you'd be a leader? A leader? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I always aspired to be one. I wanted, I wanted to be one. Uh, I, I think there's been lots of learnings over time. Sports, again, were really important early on in my life to have that experience of getting to be a leader. But I also, I, I, I thank sports for also the opportunities to be called out where I wasn't good. <laughs> if that makes sense. And having that kind of feedback, like I crave feedback. Like most people, sometimes I can be defensive when I receive it if it's not in the right in the right way. But I I have personally found that that concept of coaching really is important. Um, you know, I think in the growth tra- trajectory of Kager, the, the third year of the business, when you kind of come out of oh, it's like we're starting something and you have a couple of clients um, or more than a couple of clients and you really need to get towards process and scaling the business. That was that was really hard, that transition. And, and, and you know, at that point in time, I, I talked to a lot of uh, my friends who had started companies and had gone through that. And the number one piece of advice was like, get an executive coach, which I did. And I'm, you know, very fortunate to uh, not only for me, um, also use our executive coach across um, the business with many many of um, my direct reports and colleagues. Um, I think that 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 investing and wanting feedback is critical to evolving as a leader, if that makes sense. So I think I always wanted to be a leader, yes. And in fact, if I think about, I was mostly recruited to be a shooting guard in in college. I really wanted to be a point guard. So um, I think being the person who's helping 
um, you know, set the vision and direct and manage is, is something I do. I have gravitated toward, but it has been something that I have worked on yeah. and continue to work on. Um, this is a total aside. Did it frustrate you as much as it did me to see Super not take that shot at the end of the? <laughs> Or do you think she made the right call to pass? <laughs> I'm trying to... She did take the shot in... Are you talking about in game... It was the last game. Yeah, the last game. And she passed it. We were, we were just yelling at the TV like, take the shot. I think, <laughs> I think it's a little... So I think it is a little core to who Bird is. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's hard to question the, you know, arguably the best point guard ever. <laughs> um, not female ever, male or female. Um I think she was setting up. To, I mean, she hit the that three pointer. I think it was the game before, or was that that game? In no, it was yeah, she, for you. Yeah, no. I Sue, Sue Bird is. Um, you know, I've I've been fortunate to get to know her a little bit. She comes to the Sloan Conference and has for the past, I think, six years. She she defines herself quote as a regular, which you know makes me happy. But I I what she how she has transformed herself over the past you know five six years as a leader is is really inspiring and using her platform i think she if she chooses to step into it has the has the potential to be the next billy jean king I, in I terms t- of impact yeah yeah i totally agree that's cool well thanks for taking me on that aside um you so you talked about executive coaches and i think you mentioned a mentor early in your career um what about sponsors have you had more than one mentor like what role have those folks played uh in your career I, i've been really lucky to have a lot of mentors. I don't think you need to have one mentor. The process of learning is not linear. And what and who and how you learn can come from so many different channels. So yes, I mean, I, I, I mean, um, the Andy Wozniak, who was who was my first boss um, at Craft Sports and Enter- Entertainment was a great, a great mentor. Um, Ben Shapiro, who is a professor at HBS, was and is a, is a great mentor. Um, Daryl Morey, who is one of my closest friends, is someone I rely on for input and especially has been an amazing ally as well. And friend is someone who is a mentor. Uh, Jen Farron, who is a CMO of the Patriots uh, and was my boss at one point in time, like is a great mentor who had kids. And I watched her go through being an executive before I did. Um, great mentor, obviously Robert and Jonathan Kraft, uh, and watching from them, learning from them for over 20 years, who they are as people, how they handle business, how they engage people. Um, amazing mentors. And I, and, and, and my wife, like I've learned so much from her and how she manages watching her build a business during the pandemic around mental health and grow it to where, I mean, and, and just a great supporter, um, overall, um, a great mentor. So I think there's lots, lots of different <laughs> ways to define mentors or supporters or sponsors. And I also think sometimes people think about mentors or sponsors as, um, you know, people ab- above you. I, I think it's as powerful when your, your peers and your colleagues are the ones who are sponsoring you and, and saying how, what you're doing and how impactful it is. And um, I think it's more about like how you present yourself. And again, it's this like helping component that you talked about and identifying what is the business need. And it's a focus on the business and not yourself and what you <laughs> you need. 
And so I think there's a lot of different, a lot of different ways to learn and grow. And, and the whole point is to, to learn and who are you open to learning from? For me, it's a lot of different people. And I, I've been sculpted uh, by, by many different influences and influencers. That's great. Yeah. I said, I was on a panel last week, a, a women in finance panel. And when they asked a similar question, but one of the women who had gone through like the Goldman, the mentor, you know, you start out in, in the class and, um, and she was like, you know, I had lots of very senior, very impressive people who've helped me along my career, but really it's that core peer group that I started with. Cause they're like the best mirrors. Right. And you're sort of traveling the same journey together. And, um, I think you're right about peers and, and even direct reports, right. I've had some great mentors. Totally. <laughs> I've had people hold the mirror up to me in a way that I didn't expect. And it was, you know, lessons I'll never forget. So, so actually, that's a great point. Um, because early on, I used to do when people were leaving interns or whatever might be leaving, because I didn't have full time reports at the time, I, I would ask them questions like on their exit. And one of um, one of the, my early interns, I think he was my first full time intern. <laughs> And he said about how this new area that I was over uh, going to be overseeing, how it had so much more growth opportunity than the stuff. And I and I didn't even see that. And by the way, now I do a survey to everyone in the organization on a yearly basis because there's so many amazing ideas that come from from the folks who are in it. And again, like I think of my role is to, you know clear out obstacles and enable people to do their jobs better. But um, but the other thing I was going to say, in addition to that, who you can learn from, someone someone mentioned this, cab- uh, this concept of like a cabinet of, um, you know, supporters. And, and it's the people who play all the different roles and help on the different parts. I don't think I'm that, um, like, uh, hate this like regimented i guess i would say i'm a i'm a little bit um i don't know again i like to just like talk and engage with people so i'm not like this is what i need you for and (laughs) kind of that but i I know that there's people who think like that and if i had to on recollection there's versions of that from the people who who i who i talk to and, and look to for advice and guidance cool very cool um, I'm going to go to the uh, lightning round questions. Um, lightning round. And so you've been so generous. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. This is it's a great conversation. And I have like four other ideas that I want to share with you after we wrap this. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm into uh, it. I'm so glad to get to know you a little bit. Um, do you have a book that has influenced you uh, more than others or greatly influenced you? This is this is an interesting one because it's not necessarily a business book, but it's um, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. I I read it when I was going to business school, and um, I, I say this is weird because it, you know it's obviously a book about capitalism, and I was going to business school, and it wasn't really what I would say is like my ethos of how I think and operate, but to view the world in such a different way and think of how there are people who view the world in this way was really eye-opening to me. And I think in business and in life, being able to understand how people experience and see the world from, from multiple vantage points based on their background and what has molded who they are. That to me is, um, is really what allows the creation of things. And so Atlas Shrugged really opened my mind and that's why I think it is 
has so greatly influenced me. It's a great read too. <laughs> it is. It's been a while. I should, I'll pick it up again. It's been a long time. Um, and you talked about one quote that you, that you go back to is, um, do you have a, a favorite inspiring quote or saying, or is one that you shared that one? Well, that, I mean, that one about having confidence in myself, it, it, the difference between happiness and constant questioning is a good one. But I think the other one is, um, this one by, um, I'm, I'm not going to say her name right, but Rainer Maria Rilke. And it's based, do you know this one? Uh, well, so, no, I know her work, but their work, but yeah. it's, it's basically, it says, you know, be patient toward all that is unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign language. Do not seek the answers, which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything, live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live into the answer. I just think sometimes like people, it's not, it isn't like you're, you're trying to get to this place. And everyone will say, or many people will say, it's the journey. And that to me is what this quote represents, which is there's going to be things that you don't know you're not sure what to do, just like li- live it, <laughs> live into it and you will get to where you're supposed to go. Very much the counter of, of uh, Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, and also kind of grind culture, right? Where everybody's, you know, a one, one person star show and, you know, um, yeah. It's, it's hard and it's really important stuff. Um, there's another Khalil Gibran. Uh, my mentor actually shared this to me with me. And then um, when I had kids, it's that you, uh, your children live in the house of tomorrow and you're from the house of the day today and you can never visit it. Not even in your dreams <laughs> of the house that they live. And I just always think about that, you know, in terms of um, not only parenting, but also technology in the future, you know, and all of that. So it's true. I, I just only learned from SNL last weekend about be real and I have no idea what it is, but I just signed up for it. Uh, so uh, I, I am on Be Real because we have 20-something nieces and nephews. All of Laura's brothers have older kids. But um, it is actually a 12-year-old app. So I feel like it actually belongs. What? Yes. When I signed up, I'm like, what? 12 I, I'm like, this is my app. This isn't actually yours. <laughs> <laughs> this came out. Of, so I don't know the story of the founding of it, but I know it's old. So <laughs> Okay. That makes me feel good. I, yeah, it's, I haven't been consistent about it, but I like the concept. Um, so, um, okay. One word or moniker that you would use to describe yourself. Connector. Cool. Um, what is one change, whether habit, behavior, action that you implemented that has made your life better? Listening. (laughs) So good. (laughs) Trying to. I mean, in this case, where I've just been talking for the for the on the pod, but yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that's kind of the key to everything. Um, are you hearing what people are actually saying? And sometimes what people say isn't actually what they're saying. <laughs> so listening fully and not being on devices and um, really engaging the person. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and finally, what's your, what's your walk-up song? Mm. It's got to be All Fired Up by Pat Benatar. Nice. <laughs> I love it. That's a good one. I, I, I thought about this one because there was a lot of ones I could have gone with, like Cherish by Madonna. But I, land, I landed on All Fired Up. 
I love it. <laughs> I feel like you should always have that at the ready, right? <laughs> agreed. Agreed. hundred percent. Well, thank you so much. This is, I mean, thank you. You and, um, and thanks for sharing your wisdom and, um, and experience. I know, I know our listeners are really going to, um, gain a lot from it. I certainly did. So, oh, this was great. And I love what, what you are doing. Um, it's really awesome. And I, and I look forward to finding ways to, to extend it with, uh, cause what you're doing is stuff that I'm really passionate about. So awesome. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.